Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome into another edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm Neil McCrady. I'll be your host today on the show. As always, Martin Palomo joins from Pinnacle Trust today on the show. His wife, Jennifer Palomo, will join us. We'll talk about some real life things, kind of taking a little bit of a, uh, a break from some of the financial topics that we've been talking about lately with taxes and retirement and insurance and that type of thing. Talk about her uh, journey with and some of her struggles with addiction. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, before we do that, uh, Martin, tell the people out there about Pinnacle Trust, how they can get in touch with you and what the people at Pinnacle Trust do for them. Sure. Neil, I'm kind of excited today for the show to, you know, to have my wife on. And I know we're going to get really personal, and that can be a really big risk sometime. Um, but I think that she has a really compelling story and uh, and doesn't is not afraid to talk about it. Um, you know, and one of the things, I guess, kind of tying that into, you know, what we do at Pinnacle is, you know, we are risk managers as well. Um, and we certainly don't leave people to figure out how to navigate uh, the retirement you know, journey or, or any of their, um, related issues, uh, all on their own. We're always there to hold their hand and kind of walk with them through the decision making process, the implementation process, uh, and making sure that folks have, you know, a dignified retirement or that we get to the bottom and get to some solutions for, uh, their issues as they relate to their personal finance. Um, the best way to, to get us, um, we're really active in social media. Um, you can like our Facebook page, um, follow us. Uh, you can also like our mind on my money podcast page on Facebook and follow us. We're present on on Twitter, um, you know, at Pinnacle Trust is our Twitter handle, and then at M O M M Mom Podcast is our Twitter handle for uh, the Mind on My Money podcast. Or, you know, if you want to do it the old fashioned way as well, you can give us a call, 601 957 0323. Either way, any way you decide to get us, if you mention that you found us on either Oxford Exxon's platform or the Mind on My Money uh, podcast in and of itself, uh, we're going to give you a 10% discount on all of your first-year fees. So go like our like our Facebook pages, um, you know, follow us on Twitter, and you know, get in contact with us uh, through the old-fashioned telephone if necessary. All right, we'll get to Jennifer and today's show in just a minute. First, I want to tell you, I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios, Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote and the rest is up to you. Corey wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove that to you by calling the number 662 257 
1500. This podcast is also brought to you in part by the Refrigeration Company. TRC is owned and operated by Jeremy Watler. He's been in the refrigeration field for more than 20 years, including five years as a national service manager. At TRC, they understand that great service means being responsive. They're highly trained, responsible, and dedicated staff are available 24-7 to ensure your complete satisfaction. They specialize in ammonia refrigeration, but they work on any other HFC, HCFC, or CO2 systems. TRC is building winning relationships with customers in baking, cold storage warehouses, ice production facilities, and facilities serving dairy, food, poultry, and catfish processing. TRC is based in Spanish Fort, Alabama, but they're licensed in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and South Carolina as well. They can handle all of your company's refrigeration needs, including installation, fabrication, service, compressor rebuilds, ammonia detection, calibration, vibration, analysis, and more. To learn more, call Jeremy Watler, 251-348-8533, or email him at jeremy at com. That's jeremy at T-H-E-R-E-F-R-I-G-C-O.com. You can follow them at The Refrigeration Company on Facebook or at their website, therefridgeco.com. The podcast also brought to you by Elite Dental Care with offices throughout West Tennessee in Germantown, Jackson, and Trenton. Elite Dental Care has five doctors with more than 75 years of combined experience and with their different areas of expertise. The doctors at Elite Dental Care offer convenience along with the latest in technology. In addition, Elite Dental Care is a family practice so the entire family can be seen no matter the age or severity of problems. Elite Dental Care focuses on staying up to date on all the latest technology, including intraoral cameras, digital x-rays and impressions, 3D x-rays, and more. There are TVs and radios in every room, giving patients the comfort of home, all while they receive the most modern technological treatment. Elite Dental Care offers conscious sedation and IV sedation for patients that are anxious or scared or for those that might not be fearful but just have a lot of work to do and can't afford to take time off for multiple visits and with sedation elite dental care is able to get much more work done in one visit which ultimately saves the patient time and money so if you're looking for a dentist in west tennessee or the memphis area call dr mark harper dr clint buchanan and dr mike farah at elite dental care to reach them go to elitedentalcare.com or follow them on facebook and or instagram martin no sorry man i had a little bit of a sinus crud stuff in my throat um man appreciate the opportunity to um to bring jen on and kind of tell her story and i'm going to let her you know tell her story in just a minute but you know one of the things i kind of wanted to preface is you know yeah this is us being super vulnerable to our listeners and you know giving people a, a look you know behind the curtains and what our house looks like but man it's also it's kind of crazy. Jen, Jen started watching this show, and I was watching it the other day on Netflix called The Pharmacist, and it really kind of gets to the heart of, you know, you see a lot of, uh, of, of this topic in the news lately. It's, you know, the, the epidemic of, um, you know, opioids and, and even, uh, you know, and other prescription medications is kind of really surpassing what we used to f- think of as, you know, the quote-unquote American drug addict, which was, you know, in the 80s, it was you know coke and crack and you know the 90s as well and then there was heroin um but man most of the stuff that you're seeing today is really it's not the shady you know 
street corner behind the shadows deals that are going on it's you know people are getting um you know getting their drugs from a white collar doctor and pharmacist and um you know and i wanted to bring jen in and and tell her story as well um because i think that it's a story that you know, a lot of people that impacts a lot of people's homes, whether it's, you know, their spouse, their parents, their children, um, you know, this stuff impacts uh, a lot of families across the U.S. And it's really kind of, you know, cloaked in shame where people don't talk about, you know, hey, this is happening in my house. Or maybe they know that it's happening in their house, but they're just not willing to, you know, admit it or or talk about it you know and jen and i and i'm not going to steal her thunder um you know jen and i have have been you know pretty honest with each other and, and open about you know the things that are going on in our lives and uh which is you know a reason that i brought her on to the show was to be able to talk about it um and i think she's going to talk about things in a you know a really general way she might get into some details um but i'm going to kind of let her tell her story and you know just kind of share our story with with our listeners that you know it's this is not a you know something that's plaguing the you know the lower lower class or just the upper class you know this is an epidemic that is that is in a ton of households and uh you know across our state across our region across our country um and it's not really talked about a lot because you know, there is that, that good bit of shame that, that comes along with it, or people don't want to know, you know, other people to know that, you know, I struggle with this, or my wife struggles with this, or my kids struggle with this, and truth of the matter is, is, you know, there's probably a lot of people that are struggling that may not even realize yet that they've been kind of, you know, they've been grabbed into the, into the throes of addiction, and until they try to stop, and, that was kind of Jen's story, but um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking, which is <laughs> which is gonna be really difficult for me, and um, I'm gonna toss it over to Jen to kind of you know to tell her story, and then you know we'll we'll be interacting and asking questions and stuff too. So Jen, why don't you welcome to the podcast? By the way, Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely, here a little bit nervous. Yeah, there's no reason to be nervous. I mean, I, I get it, but. Uh, Hey Mark, not to not to interrupt real quick. Get because I know the yeah. list, the listener is going to be thinking this right away. Get her to get a little bit louder on the microphone so people can hear her. Okay. Is this better? Yeah, that's better. Okay. So, um, well, my name is Jennifer Palomo. I'm 37 years old. Um, my story. Yeah, kind of um, talk about your childhood a little bit. You know how you grew up and. <laughs> So, I grew up in a very, quote-unquote, normal household. Um, my father worked, had a wonderful job, made great money. My mother was a nurse, um, but stayed home with us, my, me and my sister. And I went to church. I went to a private Christian school. Um, I grew up with a lot of friends, straight A's, homecoming court cheerleader. Everything was very smooth for the most part um as far as trauma some things have happened to me i've heard it said that most addiction stems from some sort of trauma and i really do believe that um so my first big t quote-unquote trauma was probably when i was 15 um and i had my first quote-unquote real boyfriend 
and he was an absolute nightmare. He was abusive. He is the only person that's ever hit me. He, um, you know, would sit on top of me, scream at me, spit at me, call me names, and he raped me, which was, you know, at the time, I didn't realize what had happened, really. Um, I didn't think it was rape, because it wasn't somebody, you know, hopping out of the shadows and holding a knife to my throat. But that happened. Never dealt with it. Never told anyone. Um, my senior year of high school. So that happened when you were 15, you said, Jennifer? Yes. 15 years old. Okay. Yeah, which is crazy because, you know, most people don't, you you kind of think that happens when you're in, in college or older, but, you know, but it does happen, especially with a lot of males today that are, you know, grow up fatherless and don't have direction and even, and it's an all cast. It's not just an you know, in a certain sect of our population. But yeah, it's happening younger and younger. So sorry I interrupted you, but so you're telling about your senior year. Yes, so my senior year of high school, um, I had a different boyfriend, and I became pregnant. And I, you know, assumed I would have the child because I grew up as Christian, abortion is murder, yada yada. Um, I was pressured to terminate the pregnancy. And at 17 years old, I felt that I had no other choice. So I did that. I had an abortion. And I quit going to school. I immediately got a job, got my KB, started going to college, and... Talk a little bit, too. Sorry to interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. Where where are your parents in all of this? Um, They were aware. Okay. Um, They weren't... They didn't know everything. Um, they haven't known a lot of things until the past few years, actually. But so I know there was a period of time where we've talked. I'm just trying. I know you're super nervous, so I'm yeah, I'm sure. helping fill in some of the good. some of the gaps. So I know you talked about there was a period of time where you didn't see daylight. You didn't leave your house. You were, you know, you stayed indoors for what yeah, three months was, or that was about almost a year exactly. After um, I had the abortion, I started having horrible panic attacks. I dropped out of college. I I really didn't leave the house pretty much for about three months. And this is what led me to my first. Yeah, so what happened? So you guys went to, your parents took you, they were worried about you. Yes. So they took you to a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist. And I was diagnosed with panic disorder. And I was put on an antidepressant and a benzodiazepine. All right, so for our listeners, yeah, talk about what benzos are. Benzos are supposed to be prescribed short-term. They are for anxiety, panic attacks. Um, Sometimes they're prescribed for sleep, epilepsy. They are not supposed to be long-term medications. They are extremely, extremely addictive. And so what names might people know that? Xanax, Clonopin, Ativan, Valium. Okay. Just speak up, just because I know people are going to be frustrated. Uh, Jen, if you can get closer to a microphone, that's going to really help. Okay. All right. And so I was prescribed clonopin. And immediately it was, I was calm. I could function. I started back college. I was doing phenomenal. And I just stayed on the medication because I was never told that I should get off of it. Right. So it kind of gave you your life back. Yes, absolutely. I thought it saved me at that point in time. And I just kept taking it for years and years and years. 
and I went to college. I had a ton of friends. I had a very typical college experience. Yes. Um, you know, no marriage, no kids. I went out, I had fun, I would drink, but not, you know, excessively. I didn't do drugs. I was terrified I would die if I tried them. (laughs) (laughs) So pretty normal, typical 20s. And then I met Martin and we got married. And about eight months into our marriage, I found that I was pregnant which I was really, really wanting, really excited about. And I knew, uh, we saw the baby on our first um, ultrasound. And after that, I just knew that the pregnancy was going to end. I just knew it was. And we went back for our second appointment, and Martin was all giddy and happy. And I was like, I just know something's wrong. I just know it. I just know it. And sure enough, we had lost the baby. So that was another big trauma. So at that point, at that point, let me interrupt. At that point, you start thinking to yourself, this is, this is my fault because I had an abortion earlier in my life and and that that messed things up and, and he's excited and, and I've lost the child and it's completely my fault. And absolutely. And so you start sort of a mental spiral. So Neil, I'm going to jump in here because, you know, from my side, you know, those were all the thoughts that I was having too, that Jen was going to totally internalize, you know, that this was somehow quote unquote, you know, payback. Um, and I knew, and we were freshly newlyweds. And then just so for our listeners knowledge, which may or may, I can't remember if we've talked about it or not. So I, I had a previous marriage and several failures on my part. Uh, on that marriage as well for for its termination and but I knew that if we didn't get into action if Jen and I did not get into action on this piece that it was going to drive a wedge you know in the marriage so you know I was trying to figure out a way for us to start seeing a therapist um, you know get into so you knew you uh, knew about the rape you knew about the abortion you knew about all of those things I assume yeah those I were did not, those were not secrets from you and those going those were not you know, one of the things that I'm super grateful about for Jen and I was uh, she uh, and she may disagree with me on this, but, I, you know, I feel like we both kind of dumped all of our skeletons out of the closet, you know, onto the table at the very beginning. Because I kind of told, you know, she knew that and one of the things that I appreciated about her with me was she also came to me and was like, look, you have two kids from a previous marriage, so you have a family. Um and she's like, but I want a family. And if that's not in the cards for you, then essentially, essentially don't, uh, you know, let's not go any further Then let's just stop here. And I was like, no, I'm cool with that. But, you know, I dumped out all of my trash on the front end, too, because I was like, you know, if we're going to, you know, if we're going to make decisions on, you know, whether or not we're going to stay together here, let me, let me, let's just go ahead and get done on the front end. So, you know, it was all out in the open and it's not something that, you know, um, that I ever used as, and have never used as ammunition or anything like that in any type of fight or disagreement, but it was good to know because then it was kind of like, okay, I kind of anticipated what the next steps would end up being. And, you know, we started, we did start seeing a therapist, um, to kind of counsel us through, you know, how do we get through the other side here, um, you know, in a healthy manner. And then of course, you know, sometimes life throws you not only one curveball, but like a couple of curveballs at the same time. And so we had some other issues we were dealing with that was, you know, with my children and their mother, 
at the same time as Jen going through, you know, we, she was having to, and the crazy thing is, is I think, and Jen, correct me if I'm wrong, the same procedure when she had the miscarriage was essentially almost the same procedure as, you know, the termination, the abortion. And so it was like, you know, reopening the wound all over again, like, I guess, you know, literally and, you know, and figuratively there. Yeah, I was put under this time, but pretty much the same. Right. Um, so after the miscarriage, we kind of got we, pregnant we, pretty yeah, quickly so again. therapy a few times, and I was angry, resentful. I hated the fact that he already had children, and I thought I couldn't have a child, and it was just nasty. And two months and one day after we found out we lost that baby, we found out we were pregnant with our daughter, Gianna. Who's awesome. She is awesome. She's perfect. And uh, I was terrified, so upset. Martin was thrilled. And I was a nervous wreck the entire 40 weeks. Um, every time we went to a doctor appointment, my blood pressure was sky high. I was so afraid they wouldn't find the heartbeat. And everything went smoothly, though. Um, no complications. She was amazing. Perfect. Um, labor and delivery was a bit of a nightmare, but that's a whole other story. Well, hold on. There is a funny piece of this. It's funny now because... We're oh, eight yeah, years so removed I, from it, my so water broken. or seven. They sent me home from the hospital telling me my water had not broken. Martin is trying to get my water to break, telling me to bounce on a ball. He bought me this big exercise ball, telling me to bounce around on it. Well, why don't you go walk around the backyard? And oh, are you hungry? Do you want some spaghetti? Dude, Neil, she was ready to kill me, man. I'm sure. So. I got to jump in here and kind of tell, finish telling the rest of the funny piece of story. So my mom comes over to the house and she looks at me and she's like, Martin, she's laboring. Like y'all have to go to the hospital. I'm like, mom, they're going to, they're going to freaking send us home because they told us, you know, her contractions had to be regular and all that stuff. And I was like, they're going to just send us right home. And, and I was, and Jen looks at me and she's like, you have to call. I was like, well, what do you want me to do? A lie to them? They both looked at me at the same time. And it was like in unison, like, yes. I was like, crap so i called the doc and i'm like i totally lied to him and i'm like we're gonna get there and they're gonna they're sending us home there's no doubt about that but anyway so we get there essentially she goes through the delivery process and it was there were some complications but everything ended up yeah. you know okay in the end G so. was perfect and that's what's important yeah um so my opiate story comes in pretty soon after this i um I, about four months after Gia was born, I was having terrible um, hip problems in my left hip. I couldn't walk. I couldn't. Um, I was stumbling. I was in constant pain. I went to the doctor. They said that was my ligaments trying to bounce back in shape after having the baby. I was like, cool. Sounds good. They gave me pain medicine. Well, I took it. And I was like, hmm, this is kind of fun. Feels kind of good. Um, I had postpartum depression, which I did not recognize at the time, but I was pretty miserable. I was staying at home for the first time in a long, long time, not going to school, not working. Martin had a new job. He was traveling a lot, and it was essentially me and Gia and her colleague. She cried all the time, and the pain meds chilled me out. So it started out very... Slowly, you know, um, I ended up having some friends that had prescriptions, and that's kind of where it spiraled. I would get, you know, 
a few pills here and there every month when they'd get a refill. Um, then it turned into, oh, well, you know, they know some drug dealers. I'm like, hmm, I can get money. Why don't we get more? And it, it took about probably nine months to a year for it to become an everyday habit, but it did. And, and, and when you say an everyday habit, I mean, tell for the people that are out there like me that are wondering what, what is a, when you were taking it by prescription, quote, sure. quote, legally, how much did you take? And now at the end of nine to 12 months, how much are you taking? Yeah. So prescription was probably one to two pills every four to six hours. And by probably about a year's time, I was taking ooh, anywhere between probably 20 to 30 a day. Okay. And I would, you know, immediately pop three or four as soon as I got up and throughout the day I would take more and more. So you're taking 400% more than you should be taking daily. Yes. Okay. And still taking my benzos and drinking on top of it, which all three on their own can kill you. Mixed together, it's a nasty situation. How how much are you drinking at this point? And and what are you drinking? Are you drinking vodka and you're just... Uh, I drank wine, probably, it wasn't an everyday thing, but maybe, maybe two or three bottles a week, if that. Okay. Um, yeah, so the, the, the thing that happens, too, when you mix, you know, alcohol and Xanax or alcohol and, and any type of opiate is just that you get a massive amplification of the effects, right? So you don't have to, it takes... You know, where if it used to take you, a normally might take you, you know, a normal person, let's say three to four drinks to really kind of feel like they're, you know, that they're quote unquote drunk. You know, when you mix it with prescription meds, I mean, you're talking, it's one to two gets the trick done. Um, so it really is an amplification process. So the other thing is like, I had no clue this was going on. Uh, and, and one thing Jen said, which is true, is uh, I was traveling a lot with work. I was helping Pinnacle build our presence up in North Mississippi. We had a a deal with uh, with the community bank, um, and I was in you know working those billing relationships up there. So there was a three year stretch where my schedule, my work schedule, was literally one week at home, one week away, one week at home, one week away. So I was gone for six months out of the year. And so this was all just happening, you know, right under my nose. And I just didn't, I just didn't realize it. Yeah. And that's the thing. I didn't, I don't know if I just didn't take enough to be messed up or I was so used to taking it, but I functioned. I cooked, I cleaned, I took care of the baby. I hung out with friends and I, nobody knew what I was doing for a long, long time. Because the drugs were, were what, made you quote normal made you feel normal yeah yeah Yeah. no you're spot on now spot on absolutely and there were even a couple times um where maybe i didn't have pills for a day or so and that's when i knew oh my gosh i've really got a problem because i started having you know withdrawal symptoms and i was like oh no 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 and i wanted to call my doctor and tell them and get help and my friend's like no 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 i can get us some more so withdrawal so i I got a couple questions already and and because i'm fascinated i'm fascinated by this so go for it man so the one is that you're you're starting to get the drugs illegally which means that you're paying for them yes. are you are you paying so much that 
that either you or Martin, <clears throat> excuse my voice, you or Martin are noticing a difference in, in your checking account? I mean, how are, you, how are you getting that money where Martin doesn't know that, hey, I just went and spent X on some drugs from a drug dealer that could get me in a lot of trouble? And then when you talk about the withdrawal symptoms, when you're getting them in one day when you don't have your fix, what are those and how do you hide those? Sure. Sure. Um, so the money, I was lying to my parents and getting money and saying it was for bills and whatnot and not telling Martin. Yeah, so Neil, that's where I'll jump in because, and we'll get to the disclosure day. <clears throat> you know, Jen finally came to me and told me what was going on. But I had no clue because I hawk our checking accounts, I hawk everything. I would have noticed if, you know, cash flow was missing, if there was something, you know, out of sorts and everything nothing was missing from our joint accounts and stuff like that so you know that's 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 a really good question because I was one of the that was one of the things that that was my first question to Jen was and of course my head went into really dark places and I was like how are you paying for this or are you not paying for it are you trading favors for you know for drugs sure sure and you know, and then thank God, like, I mean, it, that sounds terrible. I don't thank God that she lied to her parents, but, you know. No, I know what you mean. I, I'm, I, I'm I, glad that it, yeah. it wasn't the yeah. it wasn't the other. So. Yeah, everybody, everybody gets that, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, um, yeah, I was, and also I was getting money from a bank account that I was, they were not supposed to be giving me money out of it, but my parents didn't realize it, and the bank didn't realize it for a long time, so... I was stealing in line. Um, so, let's see, 2016. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe rolling forward to the disclosure of when you finally were like, you know. Yeah. So, probably the 27th, I believe. I, well, the day before that, I had taken, I know, 16 pills, and they just, nothing was happening anymore. I was starting to get really, really bad anxiety, withdrawal symptoms, um, the sweating. The um, anxiety kicks in. I could not sleep. Restless legs. You just feel like the flu mixed with a panic attack. So you know, um, you at this point, you know your world's falling apart. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. know. I'm about to have to tell people, and I'm terrified. Because um, I, I really wanted to get help before, but I was like, God, they're going to hate me. This is terrible. I can't. I'll just have to quit on my own. I'll taper myself off. And of course, you don't do that. You get more pills and you take them and you don't take them. And you don't take them, yeah. So I told Martin. So let me, let me, <laughs> let me, let me build this one out for you too, Neil. So Stacy and I were on the way to Oxford for a client meeting and we were playing golf with our client that afternoon. And so I'm getting off for our listeners that are familiar with Mississippi and the, and the, and where Oxford is, I was getting off of 55 at Batesville, you know, ready to, to head to Oxford and my phone rings and it's Jen. And so I picked the phone up and, you know, and we start chatting and she's like, look, we need to talk. And I'm like, Oh my God, am I, is she about to, you know, I'm thinking she's about to tell me, you know, I'm, I want a divorce. I want out, you know, I can't handle this anymore. Like you, that's, you know, immediately that's where my head goes. And, and I was like, okay, what do we need to talk about? And so she kind of discloses to me. And like I said earlier, the first thing immediately that comes to my mind is how the hell are you paying for this? So, um, but anyway, long story short, you know, I spend the rest of the afternoon, 
I meet with our client and then I turn around and come right back to Jackson. And then we made plans for Jen to immediately, because like I knew that our window of opportunity of her willingness to go get help was going to be really, really small. And so we had her on a plane that night, wasn't it? Or was it the next morning? Okay. The next morning to, you know, to a facility to, cause she needed medically supervised detox. Yeah, it was not fun. I flew to Texas. I flew to Dallas. Somebody picked me up from the treatment center. Um, which, by the way, um, at the time, insurance did not cover. Correct. Which was, which was a major financial hit for us. I'm sure. Um, it was. But a, but a financial hit that you had no choice but to but to endure because the the alternative was yeah. was yeah death death or an institution. So yeah. they, so and, they pick and, you up in Dallas and, and take me take me through that. What's what's that like? Um, I was oddly kind of calm on the flight there. Somebody picked me up. We drove about an hour and a half into the middle of nowhere. And it it was called the ranch and it literally looked like a ranch. So I get there, I get in the bed that night and I'm like, boo hoo, this is terrible. I wanna go home. I can't do this. No, 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 no. Um, they did medically detox me, so I can't remember what all was on at the time, but Yeah, and it's that that's not important, but Yeah. But um so they were detoxing me up the opiates as well as the, the benzos, benzos yeah. which I had been on at that time. When you say they detoxed, so in other words, they, they weaned you off of them. They, they gave you just yes. enough to just, they, they knew what they were doing and, and got you off step by step by step incrementally. Correct. They did, but I had been on them for what, 15, 15 years 16 at years point. at that point, yep. And I didn't realize that's what was so awful, but, you know, five or six days after the detox, quote unquote, is done, I felt horrible the entire time I was there. I had horrible shakes. My stomach was messed up. My anxiety was through the roof. I didn't sleep more than five or six hours a night, and that was a good night. And I came home after 30 days, and the day I got home, I went and got my benzo, my clonopin refill, because my anxiety was just that bad. So, immediately got back on the benzos, did not tell anybody. Um, I stayed sober from alcohol and opiates for a while. Um, I can't remember exactly. I dabbled in pain pills here and there. It just kind of depended on when I could get them, if I could get them. And I discovered Kratom, which you can buy at the gas stations in most states. Um, I think there's like five states where it's illegal, but it's basically um, a plant from Asia that acts like an opiate. It binds. Or it produces the effects. Yeah, yeah, it binds to your opioid receptors just like pain pills and heroin do. So I spent a money using that stuff, and I'll see. I'm getting a little smart. Yeah. So. You know, kind of, we kind of, had, at this point, we started having the ups and downs, Neil, where I was kind of looking at, you know, the situation going, man, this feels so much like, you know, what had happened right before, you know, the just the, how our house felt, not, you know, the way we were reacting to each other, but, you know, Jen's telltale sign when I knew that something was wrong was she would isolate. So she didn't want to be around people. She wanted to be by herself. She wanted to be in the bed. Um, and those are the, those are when I start getting nervous. Like when she wants to be in the bed with her iPad or be in the bed with the book or be in the bed taking naps, like those are my red flag 
those are when my red flags go up. And, um, and so some of that behavior had started to come back in, you know, to play and, she had a really awesome job. Um, I'll fast forward us into the story. She had a really, really awesome job that she was loving. And when she, when Jen was working and, and, and at least from my perspective in a, in a fulfilling job that she liked, you know, she tended to do much better. Behavior patterns were healthy, you know, wasn't going back into, um, you know, the behavior patterns of a user. Um, and so she got the opportunity to, and she's an which we totally failed to talk about on the front end. She does skincare. Um, and so she was working for a plastic surgeon, and this other group came and kind of um, like not stole her, but you know, gave her an opportunity to manage a medical spa at another place. And this was like, we'll call this, this, this was winter. You know, fourth quarter of of uh, of 2018, and she was there for three months and came back after Christmas, and they told her they were shutting down the department, and she no longer had a job. And I was, for me, I was like, oh shit, Here, this is not good because what I knew was going to end up happening was, you know, more of that behavior of the isolation, and now she didn't have a routine with work anymore. So there was going to be, and, and the, the industry she's in is super competitive. So going back to her former employer wasn't an option because they probably filled her job that afternoon when she left. Cause there's so many people trying to get, you know, the little amount of job in Jackson there is. And, um, so the isolation kind of started, um, you know, we kind of, it, it red flags started going up again. Do you want to talk about, the trip to New York and sure. Boston, or do you want to kind of lean through that? Uh, I mean, I can make it kind of short. Yeah, because this is kind of where everything unraveled and fell apart. Yeah, so we had gone to, he has a work trip every year to New York, and I'd never been, so he took me along. And at that point, I didn't have any pain pills, but I did have some Kratom um, to take on the trip with me. I did not have enough to keep me from going into minor withdrawals. It's nothing like coming off of the pain pills, but you do have some symptoms. So I had some of that. We got up there. I drank every single day, every yep. single day. And so, Neil, this is where I started looking at her, like, as I would be going to an, a meeting for four hours, and I would come back at lunchtime, and she's, her speech would be slurred. And I was like, what in the hell are you doing? It's like noon, and you're totally trashed. And this was not normal normal behavior like the alcohol stuff was never that was never the issue so I'm like in my head I'm processing holy crap she's using but she's trapped with me and she doesn't have any of her you know I guess her quote-unquote drug of choice so alcohol is the only is the next best option correct so New York was okay we get to Boston and I got trashed. I drank literally everything that was in the mini bar. The wine, the little bitty vodka, whiskey, bourbon, whatever they had. I literally drank everything. And I was pissed. And I was walking around the streets of Boston trying to find Martin where he had a meeting. Could not find the building. I was ridiculously drunk. I probably almost got run over. God only knows how many times. And so, and this is how I knew we were in trouble to Neil because I left my meeting because she texted me all this gibberish. 
And I was like, oh, my God, she's trashed. And she's supposed to come, you know, we're, we're leaving for the airport, and she's supposed to meet me at this office. And I stumble upon her at a corner. I didn't stumble. I walked to the corner. She stumbles upon me, and she looked right through me, dude. Like, didn't even realize that I was standing in front of her. And I was like, holy crap, we are, we got a big problem here. Yeah, so... Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. And I probably wasn't super nice either. I I don't really remember. (laughs) That's good, because I wasn't. uh, (laughs) So we flew home, and... I lost lost the proverbial poop. Martin, all my credit cards, um, my medication, so he's going to dole it out to me. I locked it in the safe. Oh, wait, right before that, then we got home... It was kind of okay that night. The next day, I got trashed again on whiskey, I think. Yeah, I and never drank whiskey. whiskey. Yep. I That is one day I really don't remember. I remember my mother helping me go to the bathroom, and that's it. And I woke up about 7 o'clock that night. Credit cards were gone. Medication was gone. I was like, all right, this is it. You know, I'm officially just screwed. At bottom. So, yeah. So, we went along kind of okay, me being sober, Martin giving me my medication for a little while, and that summer, that July, I was horrible, horrible anxiety, horrible depression, I was miserable, and my therapist I started seeing suggested I, you know, check in somewhere. So, I went to Pine Grove on the psychiatric ward, which I did not realize was going to be an actual psych ward. I don't know why I didn't think it, but um, I was in there for three nights with paranoid schizophrenics, people fighting, throwing things. My roommate got taken away in handcuffs. It was absolutely insane. And the only thing that come of it that came of it was that the doctor took me off my benzos. So that was kind of pointless. Came back home. Well, and this is where I started really fighting, Neil. So I knew that I knew it. I didn't know a whole lot, but I knew that the opiates were never the, the root of the issue. The alcohol was not the root of the issue. I I knew that the life or death situation here was that if she didn't get off of the Xanax or Klonopins or Ativan or whatever she was on, that that that, that was what was going to take her down. Was the was the crutch, and so I fought and fought and fought, and I dug my heels in, and I fought her tooth and nail to get off the benzos, and we did not see eye to eye. Um, <laughs> he does not on that. know as much information as I do. Right, this is true, but I so knew you, you that knew, you knew that they were a a uh, vehicle drug. They they led they were go, they were going to lead to other things. Well, what I knew was that. It was the crutch. And if she never got off of the crutch, she was never going to get healthy. And, you know, and, but what I didn't know, what we came to find out, what she'll tell in just a minute, because I know we're starting to run a little short on time, is that um, what I didn't know was, was how hard it was going to be to fully detox. The benzos don't get all of the news, like the sensationalism that the opiates get and all that stuff, but the benzos. The the getting off of the benzos is was significantly more intense and harder than the opiates, than the alcohol, than anything else. And I would watch her shake, and I'm just looking at her, and I'm gonna I'm like, if something doesn't happen, she's gonna die. And 
the only thing that's what I just kept thinking is if we don't get her off of this, she's going to die. And, you know, just watching her body and watching everything that was happening. And, and this stuff is not reported, you know, as frequently or widely as the opiate stuff. It's crazy. It so anyway, a thousand times worse than getting off opiates. Um, getting off opiates is not fun, but it's a much shorter detox. Um, so I have been trying to taper down off the um, benzos for a few months, and it was just not happening. I had an ER visit, um, had to stay overnight. My blood pressure was through the roof. My heart rate was through the roof. I was extremely dehydrated, shaking, um, hallucinating. It was absolutely horrible. Um, I believe that was in October of this past year. And then, oh, also during this time, I was attending outpatient intensive therapy groups um, because Martin wanted me to. So he thought that would get me sober off the benzos, and it didn't. It was a good experience, but it didn't get me off them. I knew it wouldn't because I knew if I had to feel that anxious, that scared, that horrible, that shaking, that waking up in a full-blown panic, just terrified and for no reason, I knew if I had to feel that way for an extended period of time, I was going to do something crazy because I could not stand it. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's what she just said is, you know, you see a lot of, there's a lot of, it's the suicide rate is pretty high with people trying to taper off of benzos themselves because it's so intense that you just want something different. Yeah, and, and some people can take it, you know, 20, 30 years and they can get off of it very easily. But yeah, there are certain people that it is just a nightmare. And at this point, I had been on it for 18 years. And on November 11th, I saw my um, psychiatrist and I said, you know what, I don't think I could do this at home. So I went to my second inpatient treatment. And I was gone for six weeks. I tapered on Ativan for, I believe, three or four weeks. And then I extended my stay twice because I just wanted to give myself as much time as I could to be, you know, in a bubble where I could feel like shit, <laughs> not around my child or my parents or Martin, and, you know, just kind of shield them from that. And that was a game changer. I don't know why it was different this time, but... Um, it is, and I'm sober, and I go to AA, I have a sponsor, um, I'm very, very committed to making it work this time, because I have to. Does it have to be an, does it have to be an omnipresent thought? Do you have to think about it at all times so that you don't slip? Is it something you have to always be not only conscious of, but, but very, uh, very dialed into? Um, I don't, with alcohol, no. I haven't had a drink since last July, I believe. That's not a huge thing. If I hear somebody mention pain pills, I kind of perk up, no lie. But I know I can't do it. I, I can't. I can't. And the benzos, I never, ever, ever want to go through that again. I would rather give birth 50,000 more times than go through that. And my birth, my labor and delivery was horrible, horrible, absolutely horrible. But I never want to feel that again, and I will never take them, ever. What advice do you give to somebody who's hearing this who's not obviously to the depths of where you got to, but where they're on, the, they're on that path, they're starting to slide? Is there anything you can say to them that you think they would hear that, that would prevent them from having to go through the, the absolute crash that you went through? Um, 
first and foremost, ask for help because I was so stubborn and so afraid that I was going to lose everything if I fessed up. And if I had asked for help when I first wanted to, I could have saved everyone, including myself, a lot of heartache and a lot of money. Um, and just don't be scared. People out there will love you and help you. And the recovery community is amazing. Um, therapy is a huge, huge thing. I yeah, that's, I was going to say, Neil, therapy. if you were going to ask me for my advice, most I think most of the time when people... You know, have issues where they they go to addiction. Whether it's it even doesn't even have to be chemical. It can be you know sex. It could be uh, gambling. It could be you know it could be drugs and alcohol. But the root of all of that is unresolved trauma. So I would say, you know, from the spouse's standpoint too, you know, therapy is. And I know that Neil, we've talked about it a little bit, but therapy is crucial for for processing unresolved trauma because I, you know, most of the time when people get prescribed to stuff like that, um, you know, what it really is is they have unresolved trauma that they haven't dealt with, and it's. So it's causing depression, it's causing anxiety, you know, and I realize some people do have some chemical, you know, imbalances where medication is, you know, is necessary. But from an addiction standpoint, most of the time it's there to mask pain and that pain comes from some trauma. It could be a, a bunch of little T traumas, you know, it doesn't matter whether you got hit by a train or run over by a Peloton, you know, it's still, it's still it's still trauma. Um, so, you know, getting, I think getting into a good therapist and processing, you know, even if you don't think, you know, it's a big deal, if it's something that consumes people's thoughts and, and modifies behavior, you know, a therapist can help folks work through that stuff. Yeah. And I've, I've been going to therapy for almost a year now and, you know, I'm working through the rape, the abortion, the miscarriage, um, you know, anything that's, affected me and got me to that place of desperation where the pills yeah a pill or a drink or a drug was going to fix it yeah. yeah and i still take medication but it's not narcotic and another thing i would recommend too if you are on medication or need to be on medication see um See a psychiatrist who is schooled in addiction. That is a huge, huge game changer. Yep. Every psychiatrist I've ever seen before this one just wrote you prescriptions. Talks to you about two minutes, yep. gives you a script. Oh, let's switch your, let's change the med. They're like a pill mill. It is like a pill mill. Yep. And this psychiatrist talks to me, and she is very aware, and she does not take any shit, and she's not going to prescribe me things that are going to hurt me. Um, that's huge. And if you do need help, don't try to do it alone, please. Even if you don't have to go to, um, you know, an inpatient treatment center, just get a friend, a family member, somebody. Don't do it alone. This stuff can kill you, and it's miserable, and... People will help you and be a lot more understanding than you think they will be. You think everybody's going to hate you and turn on you. and Sometimes that happens, but a lot of the time people are receptive and they want to help you, you know, crawl out of that black hole. Jennifer, it takes a lot of courage to uh, tell a story that you did in a, in a public way like this. And, and I have a feeling that uh, you'll you'll get a lot of feedback that tells you uh, just how much people are appreciative because there's there's people that are out there that are going through what you went through and are exactly doing what you just said. They're terrified to tell anybody. And once they do, things typically get better. So uh, thanks so much for, for sharing your story with us here today. Thank you so much. 
Martin, uh, have a good uh, have a good trip next week. We'll be back. Uh, we'll we'll be back with another edition of uh, the Mind on My Money podcast next week. I, people that are hearing this, they're going to be confused. It doesn't matter. You'll never even know the difference. Um, but anyway, That's right. I, I, we'll, uh, Martin and I are actually taping another show tomorrow that you'll hear probably before this one. Doesn't matter. Uh, you'll you'll hear this podcast and. Uh, We'll uh, if you need information on how to get in touch with Martin and the people at Pintrust, it's Pintrust.com, P-I-N-N, Trust.com. So until next time, that does it for this edition of Mind on My Money podcast. Thanks for listening. Take care.